Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Hard Run Box podcast for episode 15. Just had to check my notes because I always forget it. In this episode, we're talking a little bit about the new RTX 4090D that has been rumored for China and just our thoughts on those general sorts of products. Updates from Steve's Threadripper system that we talked about with his issues in the previous week. And also just what we want to see from AMD, NVIDIA and Intel in regards to improvements in 2024. So how could they really take their product to the next level? We dive into each of these companies and some things that would really make everything better for them in the following year. So great podcast. Really enjoyed this one. Let's get into it. We're back for another podcast, Steve. How are you going? Good, thank you. Um, beyond that, haven't got much more for you. I'm sorry. I've just tried to <laughs> mentally prepare myself for whatever it is you may have for me today. Oh, and I've got some huge surprises. One GPU brand in particular is giving a company a big D. So that'll be interesting to, to talk about. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, oh, let's just start with that. Why not? NVIDIA. <laughs> NVIDIA is preparing, apparently, the RTX 4090D for China, which is I, a rumor yeah, based on a WCCF tech article. D apparently does not mean what you think it means. It means dragon, apparently, as in year of the dragon. So That's what, That was my assumption. I don't know what you thought I thought oh, okay. it was. Fair, but fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I guess the audience are probably also thinking dragon and not thinking anything else there. Anyway, um, so this 4090D, I guess the idea of it is to get around the total processing performance requirements for the US exporting of GPUs to China. So I think we talked about in a couple of, maybe it was a GPU pricing update a couple of, I don't know, months ago now, as well as a podcast that the US has implemented various export restrictions for GPUs. And it wasn't super clear whether the 4090 was part of those restrictions or not. And it seems pretty clear at this point that the 4090 is restricted for export. So NVIDIA's mm, yeah, plans to get around um, this... Sorry, I was going to say, my understanding is that the CIA caught wind that the RTX 4090 was integral for China's plans of world domination. So that's why the ban <laughs> came in. You've heard that. Right. That's the story. Um, for anyone well, who wasn't yeah, up to speed, I, that's, that's the short summary of what happened. I would think that world domination these days is based on just GPUs, not anything else. So mm -hmm. restricting mm -hmm. one particular gaming GPU is a very good idea. One of the most powerful domination. nations on earth is quite a large server farm for mining Bitcoin. <laughs> a lot of 4090s there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can convert Bitcoin into tanks and weapons, can't you? Or something um, like that. I don't know how Fairly it works. confident. You definitely can in World of Tanks. Anyway, <laughs> tanks aside, 
<laughs> export restrictions into China. So NVIDIA's thinking, well, you know, we still need a way to get gamers, you know, ignoring the, the world domination side of things, the gamers need to dominate Fortnite and stuff with 4090s. So they've You've decided to make a new D version. So at least this is what the rumors are suggesting. Don't know how true this is, but, you know, it, it seems pretty likely at this point that they are making something that's just cut down 8102 in some way, reduce the performance a little bit to get below the the processing performance requirements that the US is, has established, and then they'll be able to sell those in China. Because right now, the, the prices of 4090s in China have just gone through the roof. We've seen low supply, low stock for these GPUs in other regions as everyone's trying to get them to China before the restrictions begin. And so, yeah, this 4090D is sort of one way of doing that. However, the thing that sort of surprised me about the rumor was that they're apparently going to sell it at the same price as the RTX mm. 4090, the normal version, mm-hmm. which if it's a cut-down version of the GPU, surely that's not right. Like if it's a lower-performing version, then it should be it should be cheaper, surely. Well, they got the D there. This has played yep. right into NVIDIA's hands, hasn't it? Like, yeah, well, they can sell a worse version <laughs> for the same price, can't they? <laughs> they're not upset about this in the least. Like all of this has been good news for them. I guess that's, yeah, often how this stuff goes with large corporations. But, yeah, <laughs> they can just put their hands up and be like, guys, we, we wanted to sell you the fully-fledged 4090 and legally we're not allowed to. So, you know, we're not, we're not being underhanded here we're putting a d there so it's an rtx 4090d which means it's the special dragon version blah 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 blah. it's just cheaper silicon Eh, it works out really well Mm -hmm. for them yeah i mean i think the manufacturing cost of the silicon would be the same but they're allowed to use the just the defective dies basically like that yeah couldn't be a 4090 can now be the 4090d that's Mm -hmm. assuming that they cut down on you know some of the core specifications there which seems to be the case so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure NVIDIA is not happy about their server products not being able to be sold into China. I imagine mm-hmm. that would upset them. But as far as like the gaming side of things is concerned, if they can just do this, then mm-hmm. they'd be they'd certainly be pretty happy about it. But, yeah, I'm always a little annoyed that China seems to always cop the sort of crappy versions of cards. Like it just seems to be the dumping ground for any slight variation of a GPU with a slightly different name becomes this like China-exclusive OEM or not even OEM, they sometimes sell them on the DIY market as well. They're just any, ver- like how many times have we seen variants of like, how many GTX 1050s did they end up making? Like mm. three or four different versions. Half of them went just straight to China. We've seen AMD do that as well. I think they had the, what was it the RX 580 2048 SP or RX 570 silly name. Yeah. 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 And that was yep. like a China exclusive card as mm-hmm. well. They've done GRE models recently that seem more for Chinese DIY. Like, just because it's China doesn't mean that they should be getting crap versions of GPUs. Like, they're just as much of a country as any other country. They should have the same stuff that we're getting over here. That's a China problem, though. And this is the problem we've come up against when people have said, Tim, why don't you, you know, review the RMA process of different monitor brands? And why don't we look at warranties? And, you know, why don't we investigate this thing that happened in some country that's not Australia? And it's like, well, that's all region-based. Like, all of these companies are for profit. So whatever they can legally Mm -hmm. get away in a certain region, most of them are going to do it. And in China, they can clearly get away with this sort of stuff. In Australia, it would raise some red flags and they'd probably get fined and get into trouble and there'd be some pushback because we have pretty strong consumer rights here. But clearly that's not the case in China because this sort of thing just keeps happening over and over again. 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point, especially because China is a fairly large market. Like they've got a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it was like Australia had the dodgy laws that meant that you could just get away with anything, they probably wouldn't bother making like an Australia exclusive GPU that skirts mm-hmm. around our regulations. But when you're talking about a, a market the size of China, then yeah, any differences in laws and, and regulations and things like that are going to cause these sorts of GPUs to be to be made. It's just annoying. Like it's sort of... Like I understand the difference in the in the regulations and laws and stuff. I'm a little sad though for for Chinese citizens that are sort of like constantly having to, I imagine over there do much more research into these GPUs. Like it just, it's a little sad for me as someone that likes naming to be very consistent and clear. Uh, we're definitely not for it, but at the same time, we you know, have our fair share of situations where we get rolled as consumers in Australia because well, you know, we true. have we have so much buying power here in Australia. We're one of the wealthiest countries in terms of you know how much money people individuals have to spend so products like an RTX 4080 while the name's the same and the performance is the same the price often certainly isn't the same and we mm-hmm. see that regularly with Nvidia products so the RTX 4080 that launched in Australia for well pretty much everywhere it was 2400 2500 Australian dollars mm-hmm. and it should have been at a direct conversion, $1,700 max. And so that's a, yep. a huge NVIDIA tax for Australians. Uh, so we're paying way more than those in the US. And you know, yeah, there's some shipping involved and whatnot. But really, that NVIDIA, companies like NVIDIA are definitely adding a tax on top in Australia because Australians can afford to pay it. And you know where this sort of stuff is most obvious uh, easiest to see through is stuff like this the cost of software for mm-hmm. you know oh, how much here. how much a game or whatever costs in Australia to buy you know our version of it opposed to other you know less fortunate countries in terms of GDP so you know it, that's just how it works I guess that's the point I was trying to make like these companies corporations they'll charge and do whatever it is they can get away with to maximize profits in a given region. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see that, like we've seen a lot of complaints from people in Europe, for example, about how we do our reviews based on like US pricing Mm. and then over there, Mm -hmm. again, they see, you know, maybe a 10% additional tax applied to the cost of GPUs and that's on top of the direct conversion plus, you know, VAT over there, their their sales tax, which is, you know, applied at the the cart and things like that. So, you know, it it is a big thing. Like each of these big companies it's not just nvidia like we've seen various different amd gpus intel cpus amd cpus have slightly different pricing structures in different regions to maximize the amount of money that they're getting mm-hmm. out of different areas and even there are times when you know one region usually it's the us gets some major discount on a product like not even just from a, like a black friday discount but it might be you know there's a micro center deal on for a particular product or you know prices have slowly come down for one product like an R- R- rtx 4070 comes down from 600 US to 550 US. And then Europe, it's like, we get tons of reports saying, what? It's cheaper now? Like, we're not seeing that. It's definitely still the same price it once was. And so we've seen companies over the years manipulate the the launch pricing and things like that in those subtle ways. Like, everyone talks about the US price, but then in Europe, it's, it's a completely different pricing structure, which changes a lot of the recommendations and the positioning of those GPUs. So... Yeah, it's difficult to keep up with the trends across all different regions. I guess we're now mm-hmm. f- far away from the 4090D, but yeah, I mean, 
I, it, it's hard to sort of place like where that sort of GPU is going to perform in terms of, you know, we can see here say, oh yeah, it's the same price as the 4090, but where's the price of all the other products? Like, will the export restrictions make other GPUs more expensive to acquire as well? Mm-hmm. Like as people, you know, they're not able to get a 4090, so they flock to 4080s and that increases the price of 4080. Who knows? Yeah. And to give NVIDIA some credit, at least there is some sort of clear identification that it's not quite an RTX 4090 or there may mm-hmm. be some sort of like, what does the D signify? So you look into that. And also they're not just doing this. Like we've seen countless, as you said, uh, examples in the past from, you know, Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, where they've done just this, but haven't had, you know, some sort of legislation or whatever come in and force them to do it. I'm not saying mm-hmm. they've necessarily been forced. They didn't have to make a 4090D. They could have just not had a 4090, mm-hmm. but you can cut them some slack because, you know, it's a bit out of their hands and they still want to offer that product and we don't know exactly how close or different it's going to be from an actual 4090. Yeah, of course. I mean, those previous products were just like, well, we can do it, so we'll, we're going to do it. There was nothing yeah, yeah. that was sort of forcing them. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a pretty good, pretty good point. Steve, I want to hear some Threadripper system updates. How did okay. your... Last week you were talking about you were sort of in the middle of doing some improvements on your, well, it wasn't working to be fair. So improvements, hmm, maybe just getting it working. Mm-hmm. Your new Threadripper Zen 4-based system, How? Mm-hmm. what was the resolution there? How did it end up going in the end? So once we finished the podcast, because Balin was sitting there, the Hardware Unbox video editor, amongst other things, he was sitting there very eager to get to work and he basically had to wait for me to stop talking to you. So he, was, he could, couldn't use his computer. <laughs> So as soon as, as soon as we entered the podcast, went over there and I thought, you know what, we'll try the HDMI cable first, see if that works. And we don't have a clear answer on that one because the MSI 32-inch 4K 144Hz monitors that we use won't let you switch the input without actually having the display first post, like... Yeah, yeah, have some be, image there, yeah. ...being displaying something, like it needs, it needs, it needs a, a, a signal input about a usually on-screen display, which is just a huge flaw with that product, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. because we couldn't achieve that and it wasn't auto, like, so the HDMI might not have been working. It's unclear. We couldn't switch the monitor to HDMI, but it also wasn't automatically detecting an HDMI signal and switching to it. So it mm-hmm. makes me think that HDMI probably wasn't getting, there wasn't an output signal from the GeForce GPU. So that's probably where the, the fault still lied was with the mm-hmm. compatibility with the GPU platform and monitor. Anyway, you can't rule it out because of that could, monitor could, issue. Couldn't rule it out entirely. Uh, so we we swore at it for about two minutes trying to get the on-screen <laughs> display to work, and then we, we both got tired of doing that. So we ripped out the GeForce GPU. I think it was like an RTX 4080 at that point in time. Ripped that out, stuck in a Radeon 7900 XTX, Plugged in the HDMI cable, two of them, because he uses two 32-inch monitors. And within about five seconds of hitting the power button, we were booted. Like, it, it mm-hmm. post, we, we got post and it loaded into Windows and all was well. So we, we did a quick driver update, configured everything, reset the system. He got editing. He's using the Threadripper uh, 7980X with the 7900 XTX with 128 gigabytes of memory. And it's flying. So scrubbing through the timeline, doing all that stuff, very similar to the 7950X3D. 
but Balin has been blown away by the encoding performance. Uh, stuff like the longer form content, like our Q&As, it was very fast at encoding that. So he's over the moon with that. So we're going to stick with nice. it. We'll be using that uh, full time moving forward. I, like, I'll probably report the compatibility issue to AMD and ASUS, but I'm not going to be rushing to put a GeForce GPU in there because for our particular workload, it doesn't really matter which one you use. They both seem to work mm-hmm. as well as one another. So we're just going with the Radeon GPU, which is what we were doing previously anyway because we had the same compatibility issue with the 5995WX. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, when you're talking about a, a workstation platform, it's very much, you don't want to be tinkering and, and changing things. It's just whatever works, whatever gives you the performance that you're after, you kind of stick with that. Yeah. Like, yeah, it'd be nice to sort of figure out in the future about some sort of solution to that problem. Like mm-hmm. if they come out with a fix, you know, it'd be interesting to test it. But when you're talking about a workstation, like it's not, you need it to be working. You need the uptime to be as high as possible. And it's rare that you get the sort of opportunity to spend hours troubleshooting problems or mm-hmm. troubleshooting a problem you've already fixed to see if another fix was going to work. Like that's not a great use of time. So yeah, if it works with the Radeon GPU, that that's the sort of solution. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see how many other people who, I mean, we're not going to get too many comments about this, are we? Because how many people have Threadripper systems? But Maybe someone else globally. <laughs> yeah, there might be someone else that has some sort of issue. Again, we don't, I think last time it was, it wasn't just the GeForce GPU on the Threadripper system. It was also the use of that specific monitor. Yeah. So who who knows if anyone if there's another there might be another monitor out there where you see the same sort of problems but not problems on a different brand of monitors or something. So yeah, very bizarre, very bizarre thing going on there. But at least you're able to now have a, a production system that's working. Yeah, yeah, it's working really now, na- uh, really well now that we've worked those little bugs and kinks out. So yeah, very happy. Hopefully. It keeps working, and it is really one of those situations, as you say, being a workstation where it's like once it's working, Bale and I slowly backed away. But <laughs> yeah. I was even reluctant to reset it. But you know, we got it back into Windows, and I'm like, okay, just talk softly around <laughs> it. Don't startle it. <laughs> Hopefully, it keeps working. But we're yeah, a week on now, uh, hasn't missed a beat for him. Uh, it's going well. With not too much other news happening at the moment in the world of PC hardware, I thought it'd be good to look into a little pre... Well, not a preview of 2024 because most of the things that are about to suggest probably won't happen, but some improvements for the main three companies that we cover, AMD, NVIDIA, and Intel. What would we like to see them get better at in 2024 with a variety of different areas? So we've jotted down some ideas that we've got for each of these companies. I'm not sure how realistic they are some of them will require a lot more work than others so we'll see how we go with some of these but just sort of be interesting to have a, a bit of a discussion about these things so let's kick it off with amd the company that i've listed first in this uh list of things okay. the things that we should imp- well that we would like to see them improve and i'll kick this one off because this is something that i cover a lot of and that really is their gpu features i think that in 2023 we saw some launches of two new features for them that didn't really go as planned. So FSR3 and Anti-Lag Plus. Anti-Lag Plus they had to remove from their driver after they had some issues with things getting banned or gamers getting banned in a variety of multiplayer games. And FSR3 had a number of technical issues at launch. I think that, yeah, AMD, their primary goal I'd like to see from them is improving their GPU features. So making FSR3 work as advertised, 
bring back anti-lag plus in some sort of way that works for gamers and doesn't bring up compatibility issues with games and also improving just FSR2 overall. I think if they could nail down those things, then their Radeon division would be in a much better position. They don't even need to launch a new GPU to get Radeon in a better place. It's just Mm -hmm. improving those things. I'm trying to work out how to phrase this, but essentially what I would like to see is AMD be, I don't know, not necessarily just follow NVIDIA's lead on these product launches. So, you know, they launch an okay product in the RTX 4080, which you know everyone sort of agreed was a bit too expensive and, you know, wasn't amazing. And then they come in and undercut it by a bit, but it's, it's not a really exciting, amazing launch. Like if they had have just... If they, ha- I guess what I'm trying to say is if they had have launched the various different Radeon products that they launched over the last year at the prices they ended up being at just a month or so after launch. Mm-hmm. So if the what seems to be the inevitable pricing of their products was just the launch price, yeah. then it would make for much more exciting reviews. Now, look, you can argue that it's a duopoly. They're in uh, a GPU war with one another, a pricing war. So if AMD undercuts NVIDIA too much, then NVIDIA will adjust pricing and then does, you know, AMD adjust pricing and, you know, how far down do they go? But that's essentially healthy competition. That's how it really should go. And mm-hmm. I'm not so I'm not so confident that NVIDIA would just axe pricing all of a sudden. Uh, it'd be more they'd, they'd wait and, you know, they'd want to maintain that sort of image they have of being the superior product that's worth paying the premium for. And it's really on AMD to convince gamers to take the plunge on a Radeon product. Yeah. And just undercutting your competition while having what is an inferior feature set. Who's that really convincing to? And they don't want to convince a couple of people. Like they really need to make serious inroads. So they have to be putting the screws to NVIDIA, really cutting down those margins to try and win over gamers. And you know, people have said they've done that in the past and it hasn't really worked. Going back 10 years, it's just, it was such a different industry. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I think the outcome would be much different today. So really I would like to, uh, and again, the point I'm trying to make is what 7900 XT launched at $900, complete and utter joke at that price compared to not only AMD's own products, but of course NVIDIA's. And then it ends up at $700 like months later. I think pretty reliably is a $750 product now. So yeah just start at 750 because it would have got rave reviews it strengthens the radeon brand it gives people you know it's a first impression type thing right they do say first impressions matter for a reason so if you have you know all your favorite influencers and reviewers and always people saying positive things about what is a good value product it certainly changes perception of that brand and makes people more likely to invest in it and we've seen just that with radeon right i sorry with ryzen like how many people have been saying positive things about the Ryzen brand, the Ryzen processors over the last, what is it now, five years? Um, yeah. Certainly the last three years, those processors got very competitive, uh, very competitive and very well priced. Like You had to pay more than twice as much for the equivalent Intel processor in a lot of instances. And yeah, the Intel process was a bit faster, but it didn't justify that price increase. And look at Intel's retail uh, sales today. They're just nowhere mm-hmm. compared to AMD is without question full logging Intel right now. Like it's embarrassing. 
And it's something that you, like, if I had said to you, even four years ago, so uh, yeah, yeah, let's say four years ago, if I had said to you that by 2023, AMD would be dominating Intel and CPU sales, and even their outgoing previous generation platform would be selling better than Intel's latest and greatest stuff, there's no way you'd believe that. Yeah, no, there's no way I would have believed that. I would have thought that even if AMD had a quite good generation, that Intel would you know, respond and have their own sort of very competitive pricing and product structure, but AMD was just able to continue to produce high-quality CPUs that people wanted. And yeah, I think that the Radeon team could learn a lot from the Ryzen team and how they've been positioning products because they started off doing the sort of major undercutting in the early years with Ryzen you know, Zen 1, Zen 2 products because, you know, they didn't necessarily have the best gaming performance or, you know, the best overall processor. But as as time went on, you know, they get, got people in the door with the products that were cheap, affordable, great value for people who just wanted like a good mid-range gaming system. And then as they've been able to shift into producing the fastest processes at various different tasks, they've been able to hit those premium price points to a much better degree. So it makes a lot more sense to have a $700 CPU that's the best for productivity because people then spend, they'll be willing to spend $700 on the best level of performance. Same with their X3D gaming CPUs. They get it to the level where they can justify selling them for $400, $500 US and then they're starting to get those sales. Whereas mm-hmm. it seems with the Radeon team, they've kind of jumped the gun a little bit. They're sort of pushing too close to NVIDIA without necessarily having the exact same levels of performance and competitiveness. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like some of their, you know, it comes down to like marketing blunders and bad pricing and, and things like that. It is all about getting people excited about the brand. And they had an opportunity this year with NVIDIA, you know, so many of NVIDIA's launches, people are like, I'm really interested in buying the next NVIDIA GPU, but we're just not seeing the value and pricing to convince me to upgrade. So people mm-hmm. who are on Pascal or 20 series NVIDIA products, especially in the lower parts of the range, who are just like, I need, I want another $400 GPU to convince me to, to upgrade. And AMD's answer to that was the 7700 XT, which again was another product that was not priced particularly well. Didn't make sense up against AMD's own 7800 XT. And yeah, the 4060 Ti, you know, it it came out looking not the worst up against NVIDIA's worst GPU. But we're talking about like worst versus worst stuff. They had an opportunity there to really, as you say, put the screws in (laughs) and and improve things in that that sense. And now the 70, well, the 7700 XT has started to slowly drop in price. And I would imagine it's going to be a $400 GPU quite shortly, which again, Mm -hmm. just just launch it at $400. So yeah, no more marketing blunders, no more launching features that you then have to later remove because then Mm -hmm. the, you know, AMD has had issues with perception around their drivers for many years. And they've, I think they've worked hard to improve some of the software experience, you know, things like display issues that we've talked about in the past have been significantly improved with recent driver updates. The design of the software has been worked on a lot, so it's quite nice to use at the moment. But every time they have to remove like an anti-lag plus from the driver and get all that bad press, Mm. they're kind of taking a step backwards and you start hearing again about, oh, AMD's drivers, they've got the worst drivers. NVIDIA's got the good drivers, which I don't even know whether I would necessarily agree with that. No. But that's the perception that is delivered to casual users when you're doing things like that. So mm-hmm. I guess it's just 
the products themselves, like there's nothing wrong with the 7900 XT. There's nothing wrong with the 7700 XT, but you have to launch them well. You have to execute on that side of things as best as you possibly can. And unfortunately, they just haven't done that. So yeah, if there are new GPUs to be had in 2024, I think those are two big areas where they could be improving things. Yeah, absolutely. The other area where I think it's probably more difficult for AMD, but something where I think they do have a chance to, you know, if they really want to take their Radeon division to the next level and all the things we've listed here are actually all related to Radeon for AMD improving in 2024 because, you know, their CPU division is flying, so there's not as much needs to be done there. But that is developer cutting-edge exclusive GPU feature for Radeon that makes Radeon a must-buy. So NVIDIA's got DLSS. It's exclusive to NVIDIA GPUs, and I don't necessarily think it's a must-buy, as in you must buy NVIDIA to get DLSS, but it certainly Mm -hmm. significantly strengthens their GPU package. AMD does not have that sort of feature. So the question is, what can they... Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I know the answer because that would be, you know... (laughs) I'd probably be working at AMD or some company if I had all the solutions to these things, but I don't. So They couldn't somewhat, pay you enough, Tim. Well, that's probably true. And I don't actually <laughs> want to work at those companies either, to be fair. Um, <sighs> but, you know, I, I think having some sort of cutting-edge exclusive feature that makes that's, you know, we've seen them have features that are sort of like interesting but not revolutionary like you know radeon chill a lot of people like that feature i don't think it's anything overly special in particular mm. and things like that over the years but where's their sort of feature that's integrated into games you, you must have a radeon gpu and it ha- enhances the game in some way nvidia's been really good at that like making ray tracing and dlss being you know flagship features for their gpus amd ha- hasn't they're sort of playing catch up and I think they mm. need to stop playing catch up and move into having something that puts them at the forefront of these sort of things. Yeah, I think ultimately I do agree with you. My sort of knee-jerk reaction to that is I hate proprietary features. I, I hate exclusive GPU-type mm-hmm. features. So, you know, if RDNA 4 comes out and it has a special upscaling-type technology that only works for that series and those who invested in Radeon GPUs previously don't get it. And I've always been against that, which is I prefer AMD's approach to NVIDIA's because Mm -hmm. the more open approach, I I do prefer and appreciate. But with NVIDIA going about things the way they have always done and AMD always trying to combat that with an open source type solution, it just doesn't work. That's the problem. It doesn't work because... Mm -hmm. You would buy an NVIDIA GPU. You, you you could justifiably say you want to buy a GeForce GPU because you want DLSS support because it's the most it's the best quality upscaling technology mm-hmm. that we have. So, you know, I, I, with a Radeon GPU, like, well, we've got FSR, but the GeForce GPU is like, yeah, well, we got FSR too, but we've got what's <laughs> so it, there's nothing. And and I guess where I'm going with this is. What we want and what we've been talking about with everything we've been saying is we want the Radeon division to be more competitive. We want them Mm -hmm. to have more market share because if they achieve that, that really puts the screws to NVIDIA and then we do see more of a pricing war and healthy competition, whereas at the moment it's largely AMD's there, like the Radeon division's kind of there, but they're also not really there, (laughs) if you know what I mean. So 
if we if we can have them have a major presence in that industry, that helps. And I think moving forward, the plan to date hasn't worked that well. So I think having, as mm-hmm. you say, exclusive Radeon features that really strengthen the Radeon brand will help moving forward. As much as I hate to say it, but I think fighting fire with fire is the way to go here for for AMD. And yeah, while, while I'm not f- so for that approach, I think ultimately what it will result in is healthier competition, which will ultimately make buying a GPU better for everyone in the future if if they go that way, which I don't think they're going to, but this is this yeah. is our sort of ways they could improve, I guess. Yeah, I mean I totally agree with you about open the open solution as well being that that's mm-hmm. always the best approach with everything, right? Like mm-hmm. having stuff that just works across all things. I think they succeeded with FreeSync versus G-Sync with FreeSync being the open solution because FreeSync was basically just as good as G-Sync. Now, you could say the G-Sync modules and stuff had some additional features that you didn't always get with your FreeSync variable refresh rate monitor, but that was countered by FreeSync monitors being significantly cheaper for the same mm-hmm. specifications a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So the reason why back then, because I know people, people would have just listened to your comments and being like, well, FreeSync versus G-Sync, right? Like that, that was one way AMD was able to win with an open technology. But what but the did they actually win? Like it didn't sell any more of their products, did it? It didn't really sell any more of their products, which is, is point number one. And point number two is that it was as good as the competing technology. Mm. So for at least the main aspects to why you would buy a, a monitor for those various features was as good. And if anything, the slight differences were counted by the price difference. Mm-hmm. So when you have an open technology and you want to get people involved with your open technology, openness can't be an excuse for the for the technology being worse. Mm. So, And I think that that has been the case with FSR2 is that a lot of the, the downsides to it are just excused by, oh, it runs on all GPUs. It, it has to, it's been developed, so it has to run on all these, these graphics cards. Whereas I don't really think that at this point, we should be excusing that anymore. Like they have to get it to a point where openness is the benefit of the technology and it's as good in other ways. So the way it becomes the better technology is that it's equivalent to the closed technology, but it's open. That's where open becomes the really solid dominant way of doing things. And that's what we saw with FreeSync. It was open, it was cheaper for monitor manufacturers, cheaper for consumers, worked just as well. That's why it's now in such a wide dominant position in the market. So, yeah, I mean, if they got a technology like FSR2 to be as good as DLSS, that's one step forward. It, it, it's the open technology. It's there, there would be an advantage there. But as you say, it's not going to sell Radeon GPUs because mm. the NVIDIA owners have access to both, especially mm-hmm. because you know any future better version of FSR would be in a, a much more limited selection of games compared to DLSS, which has had, what, like three, four years of DLSS2 to get across all these games. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think if they had a, some sort of new exclusive feature that, yeah, it, it kind of does need to be restricted to Radeon. And on top of that, maybe doing it that way allows them to make the feature better. Like maybe they don't need to cut corners and compromise to get it working across all GPUs. If they're focusing it on one architecture and using architecture-specific advantages, then maybe that feature is better than it could have been otherwise, which again would give them potentially a competitive edge. So, yeah, it's been a while since we've seen AMD come out with some sort of first to the 
first to a feature. The last time I could think of is probably Mantle, which became Vulcan and sort of lower level APIs, but that wasn't sort of sold as like a DLSS type feature. It wasn't as, it didn't have the improvements for all buyers as was sort of advertised at the start. Because I remember it being advertised as sort of like, you're going to get these big performance improvements, but that only really applied to some configurations and things. Again, that's always <laughs> I, the way, right? <laughs> Ironically, it, uh, it mostly helped people who had AMD CPUs because they were so garbage at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's right, wasn't it? It was, mm. you had the, um, the, the lower overhead, the lower overhead API and stuff was mm-hmm. really good for people with the low-end CPUs and even APU-type products, but then yeah. you got to the high-end stuff and it wasn't as, as important. Yeah, Mantle was basically an API patch for having an AMD CPU. That <laughs> True. Is, that's what it was. That's what it was. And eventually it did become you know part of more modern APIs and, and rendering techniques. So mm-hmm. They sort of were, in a way, first to that, but they just weren't able to harness that in any sort of significant way. So, yeah, we sort of have to see something along those lines but more a bigger improvement for people i guess nvidia what do they need to improve i think there's one pretty big topic here that um is important so what is it steve what does nvidia need to do in 2024 (laughs) do i need to say it i think it goes without saying i think everyone would agree well obviously we would like to see new geforce products that actually offer an improvement in terms of well First of all, performance would be nice, but cost per frame would be even better. So mm-hmm. we want to see we want to see them move the needle forward in terms of performance and what you you know the value you're getting for that level of performance. We don't we don't want them just to become 30, 40% faster and cost 30, 40% more at each at each tier. So I think is that what you were going with on that one? That is what I was thinking of. I think mm-hmm. it's a the pretty obvious improvement for NVIDIA in 2024 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You know, we've seen across this Ada Lovelace generation that, yeah, we're just not really getting too much of that. And if there's been, if there has been price to performance improvements, it has been very minor. Mm. So we're talking like genuine improvements. We're talking like the four, the fifty seventy. If it, not that I'm expecting that to come out in 2024 necessarily, but the future generation, if that was 30% faster, it needs to be at the same price. Not thirty mm-hmm. percent, not not ten percent more. Not taking the the fifty seventy from six hundred dollars to seven hundred dollars. It needs to be at most six hundred dollars with a significant price improvement. Alternatively, same sort of price, same sort of performance. Sorry, but at a lot lower price. So either one yeah. one of those ways it would be a big success, I think. Yeah, and you want to see, you know, eight gigs of VRAM, which is what I was pushing for this generation. That costs no more than let's say two hundred dollars, and mm-hmm. really, from three hundred dollars on, you really want sixteen gigabytes of VRAM. In in my opinion, that that yeah. would be good. Well, you'd be talking about products released in late 2024, 2025 at best. I mean, surely at that point, eight mm. gigabytes is dead. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said. And, and it, I, I know as well. You just brought up a two hundred dollar GPU. I mean. NVIDIA would actually have to make a $200 GPU well, that's right. for that to be a thing, right? That's right. So they've got, because, yeah, this generation, 8 gigabytes, $400. Absolutely absurd. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what that's what the whole point of the VRM investigations were about, was to try and improve that situation moving forward, make gamers aware of it. I'm not sure how successful we were in that, but, yeah, surely 12 gigabytes for the next generation is the minimum we see. I mean, I know mm-hmm. it won't be, but also... Yeah. Surely, right. Surely. 
Yeah, I mean, again, minimum, it would depend on the price of the products, right? Yeah, like, yeah. If there's no $200 GPU, then, yeah, the minimum would have to be a high level of VRAM. But if they do come out with that sort of product, then, yeah, maybe that would be acceptable. <laughs> yep. But I think yep. this brings up another another point, which is that NVIDIA just neglected most of their low to mid-range products throughout the last couple of generations. So mm-hmm. we've seen big improvements for people buying like a 4090, like that's so much faster than the previous generation product and it's all looking nice and rosy if you've got $1,600 US to spend, but most people don't have that level of money. Like they're mm-hmm. they're buying $400 GPUs, $500 GPUs, or even $300 GPUs. And the needle hasn't really moved that much for people buying like a 4060. It's not that much different to a 3060 and the 3060 was not a huge improvement on the 2060. So across those generations, we need to be seeing the low to mid-range products where most people are buying GPUs have better performance, better price to performance ratios, more VRAM, you know, really accelerate those cards. And I think that would allow NVIDIA to better sell all of their features because if a low-end GPU is much faster for ray tracing, is much, allows you to use higher resolutions where DLSS is better, then suddenly all those features become much more important and developers can start targeting genuine ray tracing improvements in games not this let's put in shadows that look basically the same but like hey everyone's got a 300 gpu that's really good at ray tracing so now we can let's crank up that ray tracing and we can really get next generation games but when you've got a 300 gpu that doesn't really do all that much then it's it, we're just not going to be in that position so focusing on the low to mid-range products in particular i think would significantly strengthen geforce for the next gen but again is that going to happen Probably not. Another topic for NVIDIA is improving. This is just more of a reviewer sort of thing, but improving okay. improving their marketing because we've seen NVIDIA make a lot of claims from about stuff when it's launched that I don't think is particularly accurate. Things like, hey, our new GPUs are four times faster, but that four times is comparing, you know, no DLSS to DLSS super resolution and frame generation on and all these enhancements <laughs> and stuff. And also just describing DLSS frame generation as improving performance, which I think is something that most people at this point have come around to that not being 100% accurate. So Mm -hmm. I like to see new generation GPUs, even the super series of GPUs that's just about to launch sort of in the early parts of next year, to be marketed in a more accurate way, sort of more directly comparing this generation versus the previous generation, what is the the base performance improvement that you're getting? What is not four times faster, like no one's buying that. What's the real performance difference and really going into that and just making it easier for people to, to buy products and know exactly what they're getting. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, again, it's a bit of a tall ask, like a lot of these things, um, but that's somewhere where <laughs> it could improve a lot. <laughs> I think that's probably the tallest ask of all of all three things that you've brought up. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no way they're doing that. There's there's no way you're convincing convincing the marketing department to uh to not have their bigger is better numbers. There's just no way. Mm-hmm. So, well, I guess part of the reason it, why they've done some of that is that some of the GPUs are not that much faster. So showing like mm-hmm. a five percent improvement is not like that's not a way to market something, is yeah, it? Yeah, but I think that's in the marketing department's DNA. It's like you know. I caught a fish and it was this big. Like they're the kind of people that are involved in that. So it doesn't doesn't really matter how impressive the gains are. It could be twice as fast and they'll still be like, it's eight times faster. (laughs) Like the the more impressive it gets, the more inflated the numbers seem to get. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I expect the same. For Intel, 
I think we've I've flagged a few largely CPU related things that they need to improve for 2024. Probably all things I've been talking about recently, I would say. Yes, and I think the big one for them is, you know, 2024 likely to get a new CPU generation with an actual new architecture. Mm -hmm. And they need to come out and offer genuine platform support for the Mm. future. A genuine promise saying we're supporting this until X date, at least three or four years into the future, this number of generations, they need to do that. They're getting smashed by AMD and their platform support. There's no excuse anymore. They have to offer platform support. If if I had a dollar for every time someone in the comments denies the success of AM4, like they're like, the 5800X 3D is no, it's no longer worth buying. The, the whole AM4 thing, the platform longevity was was flawed. It was never going to work out. If you're buying a new system these days, you'd get a 7700X or an equivalent Intel processor. You wouldn't buy a 5800X 3D. And it's like, that's true. As we've been saying, if you're building a brand new PC from the ground up or you're updating from a much mm-hmm. older platform, but if you're already on AM4 with a Ryzen 5 2600 all the way up to like even, I don't know, a 3700X, 3800X or one of the Ryzen 9s, if you have anything in that massive gap of CPUs, getting a 5800X 3D is a huge, like 70% plus boost to CPU limited gaming. Mm-hmm. There's no way you don't just pay $320 for that and remove the CPU cooler, slot the CPU in, put the CPU cooler back and fire it up. Load Windows, Windows will reconfigure in a matter of seconds and away you go. You've got 70% more gaming performance. Whereas having to turn around, buy a new motherboard, likely new memory because you might as well go DDR5 at this point and a new CPU costs at minimum twice as much and it's significantly more involved in building the PC and then realistically you should install Windows again, full system reconfiguration, nowhere near as convenient for roughly the same performance uplift. Mm-hmm. So, so it just makes sense. AM4 has been, yeah. been a huge success, but you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to listen to me trying to convince you that it's better. It has been the most successful platform I think we've probably ever seen, the most successful desktop platform, certainly in recent history, but it's it's smoked everything Intel offered for that period of time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look at the fact that AM4 in a lot of instances is still outselling anything Intel has to offer. Like people who have older AM4 CPUs are just like, well, I'm not really interested in the new stuff from AMD or Intel. I'll, I'll just get a, a 5700X for nothing or I'll get a 5800X 3D and go the full hog and get the, the full performance uplift. It, it's been a huge success. And if AMD can replicate anywhere near that level of success with AM5, Intel is in serious trouble. And it's there. It's got to be the biggest issue with their platform and investing in one of the CPUs, right? Mm-hmm. There's no bigger roadblock for me. I mean, yeah, power consumption is really bad with the current gen stuff, but maybe they'll fix that for the next generation on a new architecture and improvements there. I think power consumption generally should take care of itself if they can make the advancements they need. Mm-hmm. But the platform longevity is more of a planning and policy type issue that seems so far something that Intel's willing to ignore and not address. And they've had six years now. Like the mm-hmm. AM4 launched in 2017. Mm-hmm. I think the actual motherboard platform was launched the year prior, but that's when we started to see Zen on that 
Zen mm-hmm. launched in 2017. That's mm-hmm. when they made their, we're supporting this until 2020 promise. They've now got AM5. They've made a, not quite as long of a promise, but a similar sort of promise. So they've had plenty of years of seeing what's happened. Mm-hmm. They've had plenty of time to look at the success of AM4 and they've had enough time that they can plan out what their future CPUs are going to be doing and whether or not we're going to be supporting like long platform support because yeah it takes a few years to get architectures dialed in platforms to be dialed in they can't just see AM4's success and then the next year or a couple of months later be like hey we're now offering long-term platform support it's not it's not really feasible but mm-hmm. there's certainly been enough time now that they've and enough evidence that they should be, they should have prepared this 2024 generation with long, long platform support on those, uh, whatever upcoming platform it is. And I think Intel needs to make the decision do they want to sell CPUs or do they want to sell CPUs and platforms? Because I think over the years they've been too focused on making sure that they're selling a lot of CPUs and a lot of motherboards and chipsets and things, which all benefits their bottom line. I think they need to get with the times and focus on. CPUs is where we're going to be making the money. We're mm-hmm. going to be selling people CPUs. We're going to be selling people CPU upgrades. And with the platform that we're offering, people will be wanting to buy a new CPU even within just a couple of years, which previously people weren't doing. They were waiting many years to get that platform upgrade. They weren't buying CPUs every two or three years. They were waiting five, six or more years because there wasn't, you know, it's inconvenient. There wasn't that much of a gain to be had. So Intel, yeah, they need to be focusing on this as the number one priority and encouraging people to do that and thinking about CPU sales as a really key driver of of solutions for for people. And if they had that, you know, the 5800XE is a high-end CPU for that sort of platform. It's not like people were buying $150 drop-in CPUs. AMD was making a pretty good margin on that type of product. And it's a Mm -hmm. bit cheaper than it was when it launched, but... That's the sort of goal that you can set for yourself when you have a long platform support. You can encourage people to buy the mid-range products, the cheaper products now with the new platform. And then in the future, potentially two, three generations into the future, encourage people to buy the high-end flagship part. So you mm-hmm. go, you convert people up, you're getting the bigger margins on those parts, and you're delivering people a big performance improvement with a drop-in CPU upgrade. So that would be a huge success for Intel. And they have the opportunity of being a couple of years newer in terms of platform support so if they launch new motherboards you know and they start off their support from now whereas amd's aim5 has already been out for a little bit then they can potentially offer more platform support than what amd would currently be offering and even get more people invested and interested in that platform then and that would really start to negate the advantages that amd has which would make Mm -hmm. things interesting but again it all comes down to whether they've planned for that and there's we don't know at this point (laughs) Yeah, I mean, platform support's the key. And frankly, it sells more motherboards anyway. Like Mm -hmm. how many more AM4 motherboards over the years would they have sold? Like there are definitely people who don't care about platform support. They just want to get AM5 because the 7800X3D is a really fast gaming CPU, relatively affordable, very power efficient. They'll buy it. They'll stick it on a motherboard. And then, you know, when AM whatever comes along down the track, if if it's socket compatible, they might think, well, there's new features on these newer boards. It's only $200. I'm just going to buy a new motherboard, sell my old one, mm-hmm. and move on. So those people will still do what they're going to do. But we're always advocating for the flexibility of, of not being forced to do a thing. Like mm-hmm. 
exactly. have options. Yeah. Do I do I want to buy a new motherboard and try and sell my other one or give it to a friend? Or are you in a situation where you've, your motherboard is perfectly fine? It's got everything you need. There's really nothing to be gained from getting a new board. So rather than turn it into e-waste or try and find someone to adopt it, <laughs> you know, keep using it. And I just, just while you were talking, I thought it'd be interesting. I've not really looked at this before. The Amazon bestsellers list for motherboards. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's even worse than the CPU situation. So the best-selling board right now is an X670 board. The second best-selling board is B650. The next best is B650. And then we have an entry-level Z790. It's the Gigabyte um, UD board. So that's that's the fourth best-selling board. But then, you know, fifth. Uh, oh, sorry, fifth is an Intel as well. Um, it's an ITX board, which is, you know, this updates every hour, but it's Intel. But then you've got AMD, 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 AMD. And there's some A- there's two AM4 boards in there. So you've got two Intel boards, but you've got two AM4 boards in, in that top 10. And then the so, rest are all AM5. So they're just destroying them in board sales right now. As I said, this updates every hour. So we could refresh in another hour and it looks quite different, but I suspect it'll still be, you know, AM5 domination followed by AM4 and Intel. Yeah, so it's all, it's all about the platform with with the future, and I think as well one area that they do need to improve is, yeah, just tightening up that discrepancy between different boards running at different um, power limits. Oh, mandate, yeah. make it sure that all, make it so that when you're buying an Intel system, you know the performance that you're getting. So there's no mm. there's no gotchas, there's no catches, there's no oh, I accidentally bought the lower-end Z790 board and now it's not delivering the performance I saw in reviews. They need to fix that to ensure that whatever is being shown on day one is being advertised applies to anyone buying that CPU. Because again, AMD Mm -hmm. CPUs, generally speaking, you buy the CPU, you can choose whatever motherboard you'd like, you're getting pretty much the performance that you have seen across the reviews and things, provided you mm-hmm. get good enough memory, of course. You know, you can't, yeah, can't that's the, that, but less of an issue with the X3D CPUs, but the standard CPUs memory is certainly important, tertiary, secondary timings. But yeah, the fact that you can, so you can, you can buy, to, to prove your point, you can buy a Ryzen 9 7950X or the X3D is even more power efficient, but yeah, you, can, you can buy the 7950X and you can stick that on any, any B650 motherboard uh, mm-hmm. The same obviously applies to X670, but any of the entry-level mother, you can buy a $110 ASRock HDV motherboard, stick the 16-core CPU on there, and you can run Cinebench all-core workload day and night, and it will never throttle. Mm-hmm. And the power, the, the power usage, the resulting performance, it'll be the same as an MSI Godlike or an Aorus Extreme, or the most extreme Strix board you can think of on the tight sheet. doesn't matter. Pick a flagship board. The most entry-level board will match it in terms of performance. So that's good. The Intel platform, you can have, for all core workloads in particular, you can have as much as a 50% performance discrepancy. It's huge. Unacceptably big. And and that's even even true for high-end motherboards. So... All of the ASUS boards, for example, will revert back to 250 watts or 253 watts, uh, whereas there is no power limits on any of the MSI or Gigabyte boards, for example. So they'll just run at full power. And yeah, <laughs> resulting performance for all core workloads can be quite significant. At gaming, there's not really much of a difference there to be had, uh, which is why I suppose they get away with it. But 
as you say, just just have a mandated, you know, power configuration that all boards use out of the box. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be hard. Yeah, it just makes sense, doesn't it? You want people to, well, first of all, buy a good motherboard that lasts for a long time and is going to support across multiple generations, but then mm-hmm. also is going to give the performance that is advertised. Mm-hmm. So having this sort of, I guess Intel has has gone down this path of having multiple different power specs because their CPUs require a lot more power than an AMD CPU. So it, I'm guessing that part of the reason they've done that is that they acknowledge that an entry-level board is maybe not actually going to be able to drive like a 14900K at its full unlimited power levels because you know then the VRMs would have to be bigger and they'd have to actually make the board much better. So some of that would be solved by having more efficient processes. They would be it would be easier for them to mandate that all boards can run at a certain power level. Mm-hmm. So yeah, on one side they do need to improve that, but on the other side like yeah, I think it would be better if the configuration that they go with, yeah, if it makes the entry level boards they need to use a few more components, make them a little bit more expensive, that that is a better solution than having this confusing, don't really know what's going on. Am I getting the bad the bad board that doesn't deliver the power levels that I'm expecting? I think that's a worse experience for consumers because it shouldn't require you, as in you, Steve, to test all the boards to figure out which ones are giving you the best level of performance or not. It should just be hmm. you can get anything off the shelf and not have to like these boards. Haven't you found boards that are like hard limited? Like it won't even hmm. allow you to turn off the uh, the dropping yep, down yep. of TDP. Yep, there's plenty of LGA 1700 motherboards that will do that. Um, I've actually just been working on a you know CPU buying guide, and I strongly uh, discourage people from buying the Z690 uh, Phantom Gaming 4 motherboard in either the mm-hmm. DDR5 or DDR4 version because that has a very low power cap. I, there's a we've pretty certain we've got a, a Z690 uh, motherboard roundup on the Hardware Box channel, and I found quite a few boards that were not good. So that's something they obviously have to improve. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up our improvements for AMD, NVIDIA, and Intel in 2024. Now, just in general, Steve, how likely do you think the things that we've been saying will actually happen? Across the board, in a, a generalizing, yep. very unlikely, I would say. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's, there's a couple of things here and there that, you know, maybe possible, but I think a lot of the things we've been talking about, they're not things that have just become apparent all of a sudden. We're like, oh, you know, this needs to be addressed or what, you know, come on, guys, fix this thing. It's like, you know, I, I remember this must have been around 2018, I reckon. Kind of been later. It wasn't later than 2019 because of COVID. But you and I attended the Computex trade show in Taipei, Taiwan, Mm-hmm. And we made a three-part series because you and I discussed it all. So I made notes because Tim and I were sitting in the hotel room and the show was sort of over and we were just spitballing, talking about all the things that kind of suck that AMD does and kind of suck that NVIDIA does and Intel. I thought this is kind of a, a really good discussion and we could make a three-part series about things that each brand needs to improve on, which is just what we've done on this podcast. And a lot of the things we, we talked about all those years ago with the things we were just talking about. <laughs> so, so if that's any indication as to how likely these things are to be addressed. Yeah. yeah. 
I'd have to go back and have a look at that video now that you've mentioned it. I've forgotten that we did that, but yeah, that'd be an interesting, I'll check that out after this, this podcast. But for now, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about the boring lives that we have. We're back. Steve's hydrated and ready to talk about what's been going on. What has been going on, Tim? Well, in my boring life, I've been doing a few different random things and my life's about to get exciting because I'm about <laughs> to leave my computer and my office behind for some better weather, some kayak fishing, some catching up with family, probably some drinking, which I don't normally do. Uh, so that's going to be a shock for my body. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be fun. But, nice. Uh, and preparing for that so this is going to sound very nerdy and um well whatever but i don't care i will be taking a few gaming pcs with me so we're hiring like a big house like airbnb type thing and we've got it's direct access to the water gonna be a really cool setup a lot of fun for two weeks but you know my daughter and i big time gamers love gaming we've got some other uh friends and family that are coming that are also big time gamers. So we're going to set up like we've got this in the house. We've got, there's a huge theater room. So that is going to become the LAN room. And like, we're only going to do this, you know, a couple of times over the two weeks, but it's just good to have a night where we'll like have a LAN party. So that's going to be really cool, but I have to make some, I I don't do not want to take three full size, you know, EATX towers that weigh an absolute ton because I'll be driving up. Um, I don't know how many kilometers it is to uh, to roughly Brisbane from here, but it's it's a, a lot. lot. Yeah, uh, it's gonna. I'll, I'll do it across two and a half days and take my time. The rest of the family's all flying, but I've got to take up the big sailing kayaks and all that stuff. So I thought, you know what? Since I can, I've packed three gaming OLED monitors and I built three mini ITX gaming PCs. So I went to PC Case Gear yesterday. Uh, bought some, you know, motherboards, CPUs, a few things like that. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to build these PCs and take them away with it. So it should be a lot of fun. So I've been building those uh, and yeah, pretty good. I didn't get stupid small ITX cases because whenever I'm done with those or have to upgrade or change anything, I want to just get them and throw them in the bin and build a whole new computer. <laughs> so I got the Fantex 200a i think it is um it's mm-hmm. it's the it's the fantex mini itx system that's or mini itx case that i would call practical like it fits a standard atx power supply you can fit quite a large graphics card so it's a small compact case of that being tiny mm-hmm. so anyway nice built three of those uh and i've cloned drives to them and like got them up and running they seem to work well so that'll be fun um, and have you got time for a really painful, boring windshield story? Sure. Let's go. Right. Let's go for it. Also, I All looked right. up how far Brisbane, the drive is for you for, for Brisbane. I want to looking... say like 1700 or something. Yeah. About 1700 kilometers. Yeah. So okay. it's, it's a fair way. Fair drive. Anyway, windscreen story. Let's go. So, uh, let's say two months ago. That sounds roughly right. Uh, I've got a. A Volkswagen Passat Alltrack is as sort of my my family going about car. I'll be taking that up. Um, it's been up to Queensland a few times. It's probably done about nearly two hundred thousand kilometers now, two thousand and nineteen or eighteen, something like that. Uh, model, and it's been really good. It's been it's it's nothing's gone wrong with it. It's my second one that I've I've owned in my lifetime. Very happy with it. Anyway, 
about two months ago, it was quite a few years old at this point, I thought, you know what, we should change the windshield because, you know, they get a bit sandblasted and yeah, yeah. in the afternoons with the direct sun, it looks a bit crap and hot. You know, so it was, the, it was the factory fitted windshields. I thought we should probably change that. So we booked it in with some windscreen guys to get changed and my wife took care of it. Um, I wasn't too involved because it's mostly her car. Anyway, the car comes home. She's got the new windshield fitted. It's all nice and and you know crystal clear. And I'm looking in at it. And I'm like, what the hell's, you know how they've got like the rain sensor up the top in the middle now. And, you know, you've got mm-hmm. your rear yeah, view yeah. mirror attached to all, all that junk. And there's like something hanging down. So what the hell is that? So I hop in the car and there's electrical tape, like duct tape type tape hanging from like the cluster, the interior plastic bits and that that go around all of that. And I'm like, what the hell? I pull that off and the trim is just like not ma- matched up together at all. So right, they've just not been able to get the plastic moldings over, like you know all the sensors and things that are there, and they've just forced it, broken a clip, and then decided just to tape it together. <laughs> uh. And they've obviously just looked at my wife and they're like, "Ah, eh, she won't notice." Female and just given it to her. So right. by the time she got home and she parked the car. The, it was it, the car got quite warm sitting in the sun, so that electrical tape, as soon as it gets hot, it just yeah, the adhesive lets yeah, go. It's it, useless, it just, yeah. just started falling down. So she was pretty annoyed, let's say, to say the least. So she rings them up. And she's like, "What the hell is going on here?" And she spoke with the owner, and he said, "Oh, you know, that's not right. You know, we we had one of the young guys work on the car. He said, "I'll drive out personally and check it out for you." So we thought, okay, that's pretty good service, and we are rural. So the guy drives out to fix it. He spent about two hours in our driveway and couldn't solve the problem and was a bit confused as to what was going on. So he said, leave it with me. I'll get it sorted. So this is still two months ago. In the end, they found out that for the Volkswagen Passat Alltrack, there was like a version two updated windshield and that was what our car required and they'd installed the version one. So the alignment for all the sensors was off by like five mil, which is why none of the, the moldings fit back up. So they did it on site. They came to my place with the new windshield, removed the old one, put the new one in, cleaned it all up, did a, sorry, just hit the mic, did a pretty good job there. Uh, and, you know, the, bent, the, the broken clip was still broken, but because it wasn't being forced apart, it actually didn't look broken. It all went back together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, and Volkswagen would probably charge God knows how much for that piece, but... <laughs> So ours is yep. broken through no fault of our own, but it, I guess it's of no consequence really because it went mm-hmm. back together fine. So anyway, that's 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 the story almost to date. And for the last few months, we were driving around new windshield. All looks good. Anyway, my wife hopped in the car a few days ago and there's just a huge crack right through it, which wasn't there the day before. And right. it seems like it got a tiny, like it is a tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny stone chip right on the edge. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how long it's been there for, impossible to say, but we had a day where it was about 35 degrees and then we it cooled down rapidly and we had a a shower come through. And I think while it was parked in the driveway, that happened. It like from the rapid temperature change, that weakness right close to the edge caused the crack. So... Long story short, we took it to a windscreen place. They replaced the windscreen. It cost me like nearly eight hundred dollars. Uh, I think we can claim it. I don't know. I really care. Whatever it's been dealt with, but mm-hmm. the this this all happened th- like days ago, and I've got to do 
a 1700k trip one direction and then come back <laughs> and i don't really yeah. want a giant crack through the windshield fair so enough. yeah fair enough yeah and it's always one of those things right like you have a windshield that's four years old and it's got a little bit of sandblasting. It's still usable, but you might as well update. It's been four years. You've got a good run out of it. There's no big chips in it, no damage, but we'll just we'll refresh that. We'll update it. And then within a month, it's just got a giant split through it. So <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. I think the one we had, the one that was in there that split was a cheaper version. Like it was a laminated windscreen, but the mm-hmm. one we got put in is, is, is of higher quality. So hopefully... When I'm mm-hmm. driving up, you, you know what's going to happen, right? Within 10 minutes of my drive, a semi truck's going to go past me, throw a rock up and shatter the windshield. That's it's that, that's just how this has yeah. to go down. Um, I guess so. I guess yeah. so. I've accepted the fate. Uh, I'm just waiting for it to happen. So I've got, I've got 1700 kilometers for it to, for that to go down. <laughs> um, but that, that's, yeah, that's my fun wind, windshield um, story. Pretty, pretty awesome. Right. Well, I don't have anything that's as exciting as your windshield story to talk <laughs> oh, about. Jeez, holy moly! I thought I set you up for. Uh, I thought I thought if I set the bar really low for you, Tim, you could swoop in with an actual story. But okay. To be fair, I think on my car, it's probably still the factory windscreen. It definitely for, like, would be. Years. So <laughs> yeah, maybe I should get my windshield replaced. But then again, then that causes the curse of the windshield breaks yep, straight away. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll deal with that at some point. So for me. Probably time to talk about Alan Wake 2, which I played. I think I mentioned this briefly in the podcast that it's sort of game of the year type stuff for me. And I probably finished it over a week ago now. So yeah, just got a few things, few things about the game, more the technical side of things. So mm-hmm. obviously, as my privileged YouTuber experience, I was once again <laughs> playing this on my RTX forty ninety system. So I thought, of you course. know. I'll go, I'll play max settings, path tracing, all the DLSS stuff enabled, so similar to Cyberpunk from a couple of weeks ago, crank everything up. And similar performance in the end, so sort of around the 100 FPS range with uh, frame generation enabled. So native performance was, yeah, not amazing, but mm. certainly certainly playable at that sort of frame rate. And, yeah, sort of on the technical side of things, I think the path tracing in the game is certainly very good, more impressive than Cyberpunk 2077. So it's a very dark game. It makes great use of the the shadowing and lighting, the natural look of path tracing, excellent reflection quality, for example. There are a few mirrors in the game that sort of expose that the path tracing isn't exactly the highest resolution, but generally speaking, the game looks great. Um, mm-hmm. The rasterization also looks really good in the game, so... You know, similar to Cyberpunk, there's times when you can turn off the path tracing and the rasterization looks still excellent. So I think most people playing the game are going to get a really good visual experience out of it. But there are some areas where, yeah, the accuracy, the lighting of path tracing is worth using. But I think one of the the main reasons why Alan Wake 2 looks so good is that it pairs all that lighting stuff with geometry, texture, detail, and things that are notably better than cyberpunk. So there, mm-hmm. there's some really nice forested areas that have lots of animated leaves and stuff. There's a city area that you're playing as Alan that has all this like trash on the ground and not really nice impressive use of like clutter and things like that around the, the game world. So when you p- pair that with path tracing, you gain that sort of next generation experience. And I think it really shows why some games you can't just click the path tracing button, you need to pair that with really good sort of game world and design. I still think Cyberpunk has a really nice game design in general, but just, you know, we're talking about a three-year newer game. It's going to have 
a bit more improvement in those areas. It's also a bit better designed for path tracing. It has a torch, which really helps for some of those dark areas, makes it a lot more playable. And the HDR as well, it goes darker on my OLED. I think Cyberpunk caps out at like blacks aren't pure black. Alan Wake's like, yep, great game for OLED, great game for testing. I think some people have mentioned the brightness doesn't get super high, but certainly like dark detail and stuff's great. I also thought that the NVIDIA... All the NVIDIA features are better tuned for Alan Wake compared to Cyberpunk. So ray reconstruction is significantly better, less noisy, fewer texture issues. It's probably how it should have launched in Cyberpunk. If I tested that as the, mm-hmm. the first game, probably would have had better um, better impressions. Super resolution still has that sort of, you know, playing at 3440 by 1440, it does reduce detail a little bit. There's a few ghosting issues. The game is quite soft, so it could probably do with like a sharpness slider, which you don't get in the game. Not including TAA as well. I probably ideally would play the game at native or TAA if things like ghosting were an issue or softness because of DLSS, but generally not too bad. And yeah, frame generation, it's a fairly slow-paced game, so it's very mm. well-suited to frame gen. It's much slower than Cyberpunk. There's no cars that you're driving around in the city nothing like that. It's it's pretty slow. Um, frame generation did feel more sluggish than Cyberpunk at the same frame rate. So it seems that there's probably a few latency concerns there just in how the game works. But overall, I thought it was actually more playable than Cyberpunk just because of how slow the game is. So running at 100 FPS with frame gen, it wasn't the worst experience, but obviously native at that sort of frame rate would have been much better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, minimal artifacts as well, because again, you're not moving too much between each frame. So yeah, I think technically the game is is definitely very impressive and this sort of showcase showcases all the latest features the best uh, as, far, as far as I'm concerned. As far as the game though, it uh, took me about 24 hours to complete the game. So nice and nice good length for someone that's busy doing other things with my life. So I can sort of smash that out over a couple of weeks. And I think this is an excellent game. So you've probably seen people who are interested in these sorts of games have probably seen the rave reviews. I don't always agree with reviews of games. I tend to have, there's certainly games where I've had diff- differing opinions, but for this, I definitely agree that this is a, a game of the year contender. Great atmosphere, story, survival horror gameplay. The environment's great. It has a really good soundtrack as well. There's some banger songs in it. <laughs> and yeah, so you, you sort of, as part of the game, there's sort of this dual narrative thing where you're playing as Saga, who's the the female character that you start off playing as and then later into the game you start playing as Alan as well and they each have their own unique capabilities and gameplay. Not 100% like you're playing a different game but just the way the game's designed for each of the characters is notably different. So as you're sort of moving between the two characters you get this sort of more detective-focused story with Saga and then the Alan sections are a bit more supernatural and you get different weapons and things. It just plays a bit differently which I think is a really interesting way of playing the game because the first Alan Wake you just played as Alan as far as I remember Mm -hmm. and yeah love the mix of puzzles enemies um you know sort of similar to like a Resident Evil game where you have to go find and find the new tool to give you access to new areas in the game but the story is much more interesting in my opinion than Resident Evil's very clever lots of cool things and for people that have played the game there's one particular scene that's sort of in the middle of the game when you're playing as Alan that is really like nothing I've played in the game before. It's very unusual and interesting and ties in with the story really, really well, but it's a massive spoiler. So <laughs> I'm not going to mention it here, but if you get to that part of the game, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's really good. And yeah, 
great gameplay, engrossing story, love the mystery elements, ties in really well with Control, another game that I played and really liked. So yeah, that game, I, Control I think was underrated a bit. I, I really, really enjoyed that game and it's sort of set in the same universe. It's It ties in well with some elements that were established in that game. And yeah, the level of story, you don't really get that sort of story in games too often. A lot of games go with the more simple, let's just take you from gameplay element to gameplay element and we'll try tie it in with some sort of tie together story this is really more like elite tier tv like they're sort of really thought about how the story should flow from the start to the finish it all goes together really nicely so yeah don't have too many complaints one complaint that i would have is that there are a lot of jump scares in the game (laughs) so if you're i'm not super sensitive to these sort of things like they don't always work on me but if you're someone that you know you always get got by like a jump scare. Like you watch a movie, there's a jump scare and you always get scared by it and sort of shocked. Then Alan Wake 2 has by far the most jump scares of anything I've ever seen. There are so many. So yeah, if you don't like that, then that's going to really impact your gaming experience. I think it's a pretty cheap way to get like a horror thrill. I more prefer further like the atmosphere, the spookiness, that that tends to get me more engrossed as opposed to a jump scare. So yeah, if you're like a jump scare hater, then skip Alan Wake. But yeah, I, I imagine that for, like I think you said the game was boring when you played it. And I think mm-hmm. for some people that's going to be your impression playing Alan Wake. As I said, it's very slow paced, really requires you to enjoy story-driven games, get into the story, not just skip the cutscenes. You kind of have to play all of that. So, but yeah, like you don't have to have played Alan Wake to enjoy this game. I think it's definitely worth jumping into, especially if you have a high-performance PC because you get the benefit of the the excellent visuals along with a game that's actually just really good. So Mm -hmm. I can't recommend this game highly enough. Probably my game of the year that I've played so far. Really enjoyed it. So it's a great game. So that's it for this podcast. Talked about lots of stuff. Talked about some recommendations, well, not recommendations, some things that companies should improve. We've got Steve's great windshield story which i think you know you said it was boring i thought it was interesting we'll see what people in the comments say alan wake 2 lots of great stuff so thanks for listening to the end if you do want to support hardware unboxed and the podcast and stuff obviously we've got our patreon and float plane not there's too much like bonus content for podcast listeners there the audio version is as i've mentioned before the quickest way to get these episodes they come out slightly before the youtube version but the youtube version you know if you want to see our beautiful faces is beautiful the right word? Ugly? Who knows? Either way, YouTube is also Probably closer to the truth. Probably closer to ugly. Yeah, you're probably <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Oh, also, we won't have a podcast next week because you're on holiday. So, we're taking a break next week. No podcast for next week. The following week, Simon from TFT Central will be coming on to talk about a monitor sort of special episode. We'll have a bunch of monitor-related stuff from this year's monitor releases and stuff. So, that'll be a good chat. Simon is very knowledgeable about monitors and does great reviews at TFT Central. So we'll have a great discussion on the podcast in two weeks from now. So, and then you'll be back the following week. So that's the schedule. That's it. We'll see you in two weeks. That's it.